Good morning. Good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Steve. I'm on the elder team here at Hall Center Church, and I'm on the preaching team, and I get to study with you today and learn with you. Um, uh, this is so cool. That was a lot of work, by the way, to get up on the stage. I just wanted to make sure you knew that. <laughs> We did it, though. It'll be easier to get off the stage, I'm pretty sure. Um, I wanted just a couple things for you. If you have an opportunity you haven't yet, um, check out what they've done in the back in the children's wing after church, after church today, um, just to see. It's been so much work, so much diligence, and it is going to be so much fun for so many kids this week. Um, so continue to pray for that. Also wanted to let you know, um, if you're not serving, that's okay. If you've got other things going on, but if you are driving by between six and eight any night this week, Monday through Thursday, you'll see a bunch of us just out here. The parents, a bunch of them just stay and hang out with us. Come play a game of cribbage or do whatever. You won't be allowed to come in here, but you can hang out with us out there. It's going to be perfect weather every second, just like it's been the last month. <laughs> so I welcome you to do that as well, and you can be a part of it that way as well. So let's get started. We are in the book of Acts, witnesses to the end. I want to I wanna help get us started to where we are today. David brought the last couple messages and, and, and watched as Paul in his ministry um, has been just going, going, going. And the points from the last couple sermons, just so you've got the juices flowing and you remember, David taught that we can trust that God's power is behind the proclamation of his word. And last week, he showed us that Jesus was rejected by his own people so that God's family could be made complete. And if you were here, you remember that. David even went deep into Romans 9 through 11 to show us how God's been working that, and, and here we are. We are in Acts chapter 14 today, and I've titled today's sermon, Undeterred, and you're like, why? Well, because as I read Acts 14, I was just stunned by Paul's singular focus on, I'm going, I'm preaching the gospel, I'm going, I'm preaching the gospel. He'd get punched from this side and this side, and he'd just go, 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 go. And so if you're looking to see, all right, Steve, what would you have for me today? It would be to figure out, okay, how can we be more and more focused on what God wants for us, on loving God and loving others in our lives? And so we're going to go through Acts 14 today. You're going to see some really neat stuff, and then we're going to talk about uh, some ways in our own lives that we can practically find ways to be undeterred. The word itself, if you go to the Oxford Dictionary, it's persevering with something despite setbacks. Persevering with something despite setbacks. I've got an analogy for you. Not sure how great it is, but it's one that's recent. Um, I'm sure some of you also can relate to this. You live in Maine. And for everyone else that's south of the Mason-Dixon line, this is heaven in June, July, and August. And they want to get out of south of the Mason-Dixon line 
and come up here to heaven. You don't ever see them in February. They gone. But June, July, and August, they like to come up. And so we had family come up. And um, one of them was a kid that just graduated from high school. And he had a mission. He's like, all right, Aunt Lori, it's her family, by the way. Um, can Uncle Steve take me hiking? He's like, yeah, we can. He's like, I want to go up Mount Washington. He's like, okay. All right, I'm still of the bodily ability to do it, and I'm also still of the dumb idea that I should do it. So that combined, and I'm like, yeah. And as the day got closer, I was like, we're not hiking Washington. All it does is rain. It'll be fine. I'll take them up there. We'll go to the outlet stores in North Conway, maybe do some shopping. We'll have a great time. Well, anyway, the day that we set aside to hike Mount Washington came. I was prepared. And don't you know, it's a beautiful day. Like, like you read about beautiful day, just gorgeous. So we left at 4.30 in the morning, started on our hike. At 5.30 in the morning, And if you hike much, you know that there's two halves to hiking, right? And if you don't know this, I'm glad I could share this with you. There's up and there's down, <laughs> okay? Now you all know everything you need to know about hiking. And on the way up, my family member was telling me how much he works out and what good shape he is in. And the climb up Mount Washington was not that bad. You get to the top, there's a store, there's hot dogs and pizza that you guys all drive up to. That's fine. We were fine. And there was a sign that said, Tuckerman Ravine Trail is closed. That's the beautiful trail that goes right down into the ravine. And I said to the ranger up there, I said, is it really closed? Because that's how I want to go down. And he's like, yeah, it's really closed. I'm like, really, really closed? Yeah, it's really closed. And I was like, all right, so how should we go down? I don't want to go back up the same way we came. He goes, well, do Boot Spur Trail. If you know Washington at all, that's the trail that goes all the way around and then all the way down. When you start down, you begin to realize that your legs are not gonna do quite as well as they did up. Not just me, but my nephew as well. And we were dying. It was 13 miles of hiking and like eight of it was this down, it goes forever. And the reason I use it as an example is because as you're going down Boot Spur Trail, you're down this trail, and you're just going, 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 and it's a little sign that says, hey, there's an outlook over here, one-tenth of a mile. And you're like, nope, nope, I'm just going down. 
And then there's something else where it's like, oh man, look over there, you can see a cliff face. Nope, I'm just going down. And you are completely committed to one thing. You're completely committed to getting to the bottom because if you don't, you might die of exposure. It's as simple as that. That's where the analogy kind of breaks down in terms of what we're looking at today. But you are completely focused. And there's only one thing you want. You want to continue moving. You want to continue taking steps. You want to continue down, down, down. And then when you almost think you've gotten there, you haven't. You're still two miles away. And you have to just keep going and going and going and going. And my nephew said it was the greatest adventure he'd ever been on. So that was cool. But he couldn't walk for three days. Um, And so there's always trade-offs. All right? And so setbacks, yes. Setback one, setback two. Setback three, knees and ankles and hips were killing me. Undeterred, persevering with something despite setbacks. And so we're going to watch that in action with Paul today, and then we're going to look at ourselves and see how we can use that as an example. But today's point that I just want to throw up here, because this is what I think was the heart of Paul's message. I think it was the heart of what kept him going each and every day. Jesus has saved you. The Holy Spirit will not lead you where the Father will not care for you. Jesus has saved you. If you want to get technical about it, he has saved you. He is saving you. He will save you. Jesus is all about saving you. And the Holy Spirit will not lead you where the Father will not care for you. And so I want to use that as a way to check ourselves. Are you struggling? Are you in a season that's rough? Because we all have those times. This message is designed to encourage you, give you practical ways to be undeterred in your walk with Jesus. And picture Just the boop, doop, we want to be completely committed to finishing and finishing well. And so we're gonna we're gonna jump right into the passage today, and we're gonna take a look at the first seven verses of Acts chapter 14. And we're gonna look at Iconium. So this is about a hundred miles southeast of Antioch. And if you want to, and you've got your phone and you're not gonna use it as too much of a distraction, just do Acts 14 map and Google will show you all kinds of great, and it's just there's a lot of bouncing around today, okay? This is about 100 miles southeast of where they've been spending a bunch of time in Antioch. It's Iconium. Today, it's Turkey's fourth largest city, and it's called Konya. Again, I don't mind it for a moment if you want to Google to Google Maps and type Konya, Turkey, K-O-N-Y-A, and you'll see exactly where we're talking about. Verse 1, now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So in several instances throughout Acts, and you, if you've been here, you remember it, Luke records for us what is said. You've, you've heard Peter's sermons over and over again, Paul's sermons as well. Luke records what was said in various speeches and various sermons. But notice here, we don't have any idea what Paul said. It only says how it was said. So the attention is not drawn to what is said, but how it was said. It says they spoke in such a way. 
that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So we teach our children, don't we, that it's not what you're saying that's the problem, it's how you're saying it, right? What's the most quintessential version of that with kids? Two words, I'm sorry. It can sound, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, right? How you say it matters, it matters greatly. And the same is true about you and how you speak to others about Jesus. You speak in a language that's not understood. You may be saying the great things, but it may be lost on who you're talking to because of how you speak. And so how you speak about the things of God can turn people away, or as in this case, win people over. The how is just as important as the what. And I love that that gets pointed out here in Acts chapter 14. And so when speaking to different people about the things of God, we have to be careful to give attention to how we speak. It matters greatly. And so Paul and Barnabas won over a large audience, not just Jews believing, but also Greeks. And then there's always the, yeah, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. They intensified the opposition by poisoning their minds. The literal translation is embittering their souls, causing division. And what was the division? Well, the God of the Jews is also the God of the Gentiles. The Jews still believed that God was theirs and not God for all people, which is the complete opposite of the message of the gospel. So you can see where the tension was. And so as a result of what they were doing, poisoning their minds against the brothers, notice the action of Paul and his companions in in response, verse three. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And so I want you to think about people who don't know Jesus, who have for a long time resisted the gift that he offers. And you want to take encouragement from what Paul and others did. They stayed the course and they stayed. They remained present and they spoke boldly for the Lord and it took a long time. They were undeterred. They persevered despite setbacks. And I, and I hope you can see this. There's this division happening and what God does is bears witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Why? John Calvin comments this. He said, God hardly ever allows them, miracles, to be detached from his word. Their true use is the establishing of the gospel in its full and genuine authority. God is confirming and bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders. But there was still division, and we see it in verse 4. And so while the gospel unites, keep in mind, ladies and gentlemen, it also divides. The 
the message of being made right with God and it's not based on your goodness is one that divides. Verse five, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews, so the whole, the whole posse of them with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. And I'll say the fleeing appears to be the opposite of boldness and perseverance. But they'd already been there a long time. The gospel message had been preached. God had blessed with signs and wonders. There was a clear line in the sand. There was no questioning the message anymore. The message was clear. The city had taken sides, so they left. And they went to Lystra and Derby, two smaller towns, to continue. And they were completely undeterred in their spread of the gospel. And so Luke what tells us what happens in Lystra next, and it's quite odd, and one of my favorite accounts in the book of Acts. We're going to look at verses 8 through 18. This is near the modern village of Hatunsere, and I know I didn't say that right, but it's about 24 miles southwest of where they were. It's in south-central Turkey. There's a museum there where you can see artifacts from ancient Lystra if you want to go. What are you guys doing on Tuesday? Oh, that's right, a VBS, we can't do it. Never mind. Verse 8, let's go. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. And we've, we've heard this account with Jesus. We heard it with Peter and John. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Wow. Notice this man listened to Paul speaking, it says. And in his listening, his faith became evident. It became observable. Verse 9 tells us he had faith to be made well. Did you ever think of that, that faith is visible? That it can be seen? Well, Jesus saw the faith of the guys that brought their brother or, or their friend to, to Jesus to heal, and they dumped him down through the roof, and again, another great scene. Jesus saw their faith and made the man well. So faith can be seen in action. And for this man, his faith was observable through his listening. And this, so, okay, another lame man gets healed. I don't want to act like that's boring, but this is, we've seen this before. What we haven't seen is what happens next. It really gets interesting. Verse 11, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And so this is a city, like many others, that worshiped idols. At the entrance to Lystra was a temple to Zeus. We're going to see that in like the next verse. The only way the people could make sense of what they were seeing was a man who had been crippled his entire life is now running around, signing up for the next 5K. They're like, I can't process that. And so what they did 
was think they'd been visited by the gods. And so one of the local legends told of an ancient, ancient visitation by Zeus and Hermes to the city of Phrygia. In that story, only one couple in the city received Zeus and Hermes graciously, so the rest of the population was destroyed. So these folks in Lyconia, knowing that legend, wouldn't want to make the same mistake, and so they honor Paul and Barnabas, believing them to be Zeus and Hermes because they'd worked a miracle. And I want you to see in the text, Luke tells us they said it in Lyconian, which indicates that Paul and Barnabas did not know what they were saying. So at this point, Paul and Barnabas don't know what being don't know that they're calling, being called gods worthy of worship, but they soon figure it out. Verse 13, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds to Paul and Barnabas. Imagine the scene. Imagine Paul and Barnabas healing this man, and they're just, wow, this guy's got faith, and he's, he's up, and he's, this is awesome, and everybody's just so excited, and they hear all kinds of people saying things, and it's just, wow, these guys are really impressed. This is neat. And then <laughs> the priest of Zeus comes and puts them in front of an altar and starts sacrificing to them. That's an indication that something's wrong. Right? If you know your Bible well, Bible well, anybody that knows the God of the Bible knows that we are not to be worshipped. Ever. There's only one worthy of worship, and it's not you, and it's not me. But if you remember back to Acts 12, Herod was told, these are the words of a God, and he loved it. And do you recall what happened to him? It wasn't good. Paul and Barnabas did not make the same mistake. Paul and Barnabas were thought to be gods, but Paul and Barnabas immediately reject the notion. Herod didn't, paid the price. In this case, we are told how Paul and Barnabas communicate with torn garments and crying out, but we're also told what they spoke. And here's what they said, verse 15. Men! Why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. And we're just going to continue, verse 17. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Verse 18, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. <laughs> like, how do you keep someone from sacrificing to you? It must have been interesting. And so I want you to note that this is a Gentile audience. They would not be familiar with the Old Testament, as in the synagogue setting where Paul would usually go into. The audience doesn't worship the God of the Bible, but they worship idols. So here, Paul starts with his gospel presentation with what his audience would understand, creation. 
And in verse 15, he refers to God as the living God who made heaven and earth and all that's in them. And so this is really important for us as we talk about Jesus to others, we need to understand our audience and be students of the people that we pray for and share with and know how to talk to them about God. There's so much in this as an example for us. In any case, what happens next is a rough time in verses 19 through 23. The account takes a real left turn in these next verses. Starting with the word but in verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch. Remember David talking about the Jews in Antioch and how upset they were. They came from Antioch and Iconium where they'd just been run out of. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Not a good day, by the way. Verse 20, but when the disciples gathered about him, he got up and entered the city. And on the next day, I'm out of here. He went on with Barnabas to Derby. What is going on? So think about this. For the people that saw Paul do this miracle, this man, there's no way he should be walking, is now running around living his best life. And Paul and Barnabas, who were responsible for this miracle, are they got to be gods. But Paul and Barnabas say, no, 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 no. Right? If you were actually a god, you wouldn't say, no, no, no. You'd say, yeah, I am. They said, no, 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 no. And in this culture, what does that make them? At that point, they're magicians. They're not miracle workers sent from God to show the mercy of God and teach the love of Jesus and talk about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They are magicians and dangerous, and we need to be careful. The gods were regarded as good and gracious, but magicians were viewed as secretive and harmful, and so it scared them. So people came from the last couple places Paul and Barnabas had ministered to, and they persuaded the crowds that Paul and Barnabas were no good, and so they dragged Paul out of the city, and they stone him. And so this stoning makes the list of Paul's sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11, 24, and 25, which is where Paul says, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. And again, if we don't see it, Paul was undeterred. And so how many of us, if we faced opposition like this, would continue on, and how many of us would be looking for a new job? But God clearly was protecting Paul, whether or not Paul was aware of it. He allowed Paul to endure the stoning, and he protected him in the midst of it. Not from the stoning, because that's what we would want. Right? We would like, no, how about we just take that one off the agenda? Okay? He didn't protect Paul from 
the stoning. He protected him in the midst of it. Not from it, but in the midst of it. And not only did Paul survive, but he was able to get up and walk away. This was a miracle. At this point, we could take time and talk about whether or not people in ancient times at this point understood what a stoning actually was and whether they knew how to carry it out. They did. The passage even tells us they dragged Paul out of the city assuming he was dead. Do you think they knew how to take a pulse back then? I think they did. Do you think they knew whether to tell whether someone was dead or not? They did. They assumed he was dead and they dragged him out of the city and they dumped him. He was able to get up and walk away and this was a miracle. A miracle that hurt a lot. Okay, we're just, we're just not gonna hide from that. This was not fun. This was not comfort. This was the complete opposite for Paul. And so God's grace is amazing. He's amazing, but it doesn't erase suffering while we're here. Faith perseveres because it coexists with opposition. It coexists with suffering. And so you can see verse 20, dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. The disciples gathered around him. He got up, entered the city, and the next day he went on to Derby. In verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. And we don't know, but I'm really betting Paul did not look good. I really am. You just, the stonings were horrible. Wonder how that was received. It just, we don't, we'll see the movie one day. They want to, and so let's keep reading. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And so Paul and Barnabas, they want to strengthen the disciples. They want to encourage them to continue in the faith. And here's the message. The message is right there in verse 22 at the end. It's necessary to go through many hardships to enter God's kingdom. Is that encouraging to you? Does that strengthen you? On the surface, I think our instant response is, no, that's really not that encouraging. Thanks, though. I don't want to go through a lot of hardships. But I want us to see why this is an encouragement. Paul and Barnabas are meeting with these disciples. Paul's mending from his wounds. The picture I have is definitely of tape around two fingers and bruises. What is Paul trying to tell these disciples? And please hear me. He is telling them that nothing went wrong. This was not a mistake. We equate pain with mistakes. Paul is telling us that going through hardships for the sake of Jesus is not a mistake. Pain in your life because you're trying to serve God is not a mistake. Something did not go wrong. It is through our hardships we will enter the kingdom of God. Nothing went wrong. There is going to be opposition, but the mission must continue undeterred. Verse 24, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. 
And so before moving on their mission, after teaching and encouraging and equipping the church with elders to oversee spiritual care and praying and fasting, they entrusted the believers to the same Lord that they were entrusted to themselves. And so Paul and Barnabas went to these other churches and they ministered to them, appointed elders, and really made the organization that is the body of Christ. And then they go back to Antioch. Last few verses here, verses 24 to 28. We spent a bunch of time talking about Antioch and its importance, so let's jump right into verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Again, Acts 14 map, you'll see this. Verse 27, and when they had arrived and gathered the church together, they're kind of at their home church, they declared all that God had done with them and how he'd opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. And that's where the chapter ends. They went back to where the ministry to Gentiles had blown up, where things had started, and they provided a report to the church there. And there is... You can probably assume Luke was there. And imagine what that looked like, that report. How good the slides must have been. (laughs) They were fleeing. They were being stoned, miraculously getting up, being worshipped as God. It was an account of perseverance in the midst of setbacks. But the gospel spread, and they were undeterred. And Luke tells us they remained no little time with the disciples. And I'm sure that each time Paul preached in the church at Antioch, the message that he preached and taught to everyone that would listen was that Jesus has saved you. It's our point from today. The Holy Spirit will not lead you where the Father will not care for you. And Paul would say, look at me. And we'd be like, look at you. Your fingers are tied together. And he'd be like, no, no, no. That's not what matters. This was Paul's testimony right here, and it's the reason he persevered, the reason he was undeterred. Stephen Curtis Chapman, he's like been releasing new music. He's like older than me. Um, but you, many of you will remember his song, Burn the Ships. Nobody said it would be easy, but the one who called us here is never going to leave us alone. And so, I've just got a few points, and we'll wrap up on how to be undeterred. First one, we're going we're to go through these pretty quickly. Press into the fundamentals regularly. If you recall when we were in Acts chapter 12, my point in that sermon was a strong understanding of the fundamentals will help us live a life of confidence for Christ. And, we, and if you recall in that sermon, we talked about Peter and what a kind of bumbling idiot he was and became a guy who stood toe-to-toe with Herod. How did this happen? Peter was a witness of the risen Jesus and was filled with the Holy Spirit and saw God do amazing things. May that be said of us. And the gospel, the fundamentals at the heart of this God has made you in his image. Sin has marred our very existence. And we need to be made right with our creator. God made a way for us to be made right. He sent Jesus to take the penalty for our sin. 
and purchase eternal life for us. This fundamental needs to be at the heart of our thinking, at the heart of our attitude, at the heart of everything we do. It's such a fundamental. Verse 12 of Hebrews, chapter, Hebrews 12, verse 3 says this. The writer to Hebrews says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And one wonders, as Paul got up from being stoned and moved on, how much he thought of what Jesus had gone through. But this is what the writer to Hebrews challenges us to do. We tend to be deterred when we think that we're being required to endure something we think is unreasonable or unfair. Considering what Jesus endured will change our perspective. To grow weary and lose heart means that you become so weary that you no no longer live from your heart. Instead of being energetic, full of faith, the term that can describe us sometimes is lethargic, not persevering, just going through the motions. Is that you? Press into the fundamentals. Your foundation is strong. It's Jesus. Press into him. Tim Keller says this, he said, here's the gospel. You're more sinful than you ever dared believe. And you're more loved than you ever dared hope. Consider him. Second thing of how to be undeterred, leave the past behind. Kids, this is a rough one. And I don't want you to think that I'm saying it's not. We are always trying to swim upstream to the moment right before we thought things went wrong. Our minds, sadly, aren't very well behaved. Sometimes they're not our friends at all. Spinning out past moments, conversations, relationships. What if I had done things differently? What if I had said something else? What if I had been someone else and it becomes very difficult for us to leave the past behind? But the past got you to where you are right now, which is the place that God can use you no matter what. Okay? And so I want to paraphrase John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. He said, listen, everything was needful that he sent No, yes. Everything was needful that he sent. Nothing was needful that he withheld. Yes, if you had your time over again, you would choose differently. But know this, your father, whose name is love, would not. This requires us to press into the idea that God knows what he's doing and it's not gonna make sense of it to us right now. And I want you to note, and the reason this is in here, is that no one had more cause for regrets and thought that could invade his mind than Paul and distract him. He had seen, the, he had seen to the death of many of the followers of Jesus, and yet he was undeterred. He persevered despite setbacks. And look at what Paul writes in Philippians. Three, one thing I do, forgetting what is, lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
A writer, Barry Cooper, says this. He says, know that you did not fall between the cracks of your own life. Nothing in your past, present, or future can separate you from the love of Christ. Romans 11. And so I want you to hear this. Some of you may need help with this, leaving the past behind. It is not an easy thing to do, especially with so much that happens into our, in, in this world. Some of you may need help. Press into it. Get help if you need to. But it's a, fundament, it's a fundamental notion of how to be undeterred, press into the fundamentals. Number two, leave the past behind. And third, how to be undeterred, minimize distractions. Yeah, right. And so as we read of Paul's mission, we can see that nothing could distract him from his task. How about us? And so with just, just a moment to think about our distractions. Frequently, our distractions tell us what we love and what we trust and what we fear. We gravitate toward desires that we crave and we shrink away from fears we want to avoid. And so if you could take a moment and listen to what your distractions are saying to you. In what are you seeking joy? Where are you seeking shelter? What are you trying to escape? Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 5.8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Make no mistake, Satan wants you as distracted as possible. And in today's world, it is a no-brainer for him to do that to you. And so we need to be sober-minded, be watchful. God isn't just concerned with the most efficient way to free us from distraction. That's not his goal. His goal to see what will produce the greatest and most enduring fruit for him in our life. And so I uncovered Proverbs chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. It's not up there, but you'll hear it. Verses 25 through 27, Solomon says this. He says, let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. So pray about it. Look to defeat distraction by building new habits, one at a time. Press into that. And this brings us to our final key to being undeterred. Pray for wisdom. Majority of the wisdom that we talk about comes in two parts. Knowledge of God, knowledge of ourselves. That's where we need wisdom. And we need wisdom in both those places to persevere in the midst of challenges. But what is great is the promise we have. And boy, you're going to see this a lot when I'm preaching. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, any of you, anybody, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. I do wonder what Paul's prayer life was like on his missionary journey. One of the things that prayer does is it makes the truths of the gospel real to us. God is a giving God. He wants to give good gifts to his children. And wisdom is a gift he wants to give to you. So ask for it. So we've got four things. How to be undeterred. Press into the fundamentals. Leave the past behind. Minimize distractions. 
and pray for wisdom. My hope for you would be that you have heard those four things, you've seen the example of Paul, and out of those four, or maybe all four, you've seen one place where you can improve, where you can work, where you can pray, where you can seek God and see more fruit in your life. All the while considering our point for today, Jesus has saved you. The Holy Spirit will not lead you where the Father will not care for you so we can persevere in the midst of obstacles. We can persevere. This week, this VBS, guess what? Guess what, guys? Satan does not want 50 to 60 kids to hear about Jesus. So keep an eye out this week, especially of those that you're serving, for things that look to derail you. It's real. We can persevere in the midst of obstacles. And persevere in doing what? In loving God and loving others. As the singers and musicians go ahead and come on up, we're gonna close the song, Every Giant Will Fall. We're gonna talk about what God can do because that's all Paul would talk about. That's all he would talk about is what God would do. When Paul received his stoning, I'm not even sure how to put that, and then got up and went on to the next town, who was doing that? It was not Paul. Every giant will fall, the mountains will move, every chain of the past you've broken into. Over fear, over lies, we're singing the truth that nothing is impossible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We look at our lives and what happens. Well, first thing we do is we forget about the basics of how much we're loved and how much we have in Jesus and we act like none of it ever happened. Help us to press into the fundamentals. The other thing we do is we look back a lot. Our minds sometimes are just kind of a cesspool of all the things that we wish we'd done differently. Help us to not keep looking back, but to press forward. Help us to press into that if we need help with that. And Lord, help us in this world where it's just 10 seconds out of here, we're gonna grab this little device and be distracted by a thousand voices. Help us to keep the distractions at bay so we can focus on the task that you have for us. And I do right now, Lord, I pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom for everyone in here that we may know you and we may know ourselves and as such serve you better. Praise you for this time of singing as we close. And I do pray for this time we have with kids this week. May your Holy Spirit be here with all those that are serving and teaching. And may we just be a place where these kids know that you love them and that we do too. Praise you for everything that's happening here in Jesus' name. Amen.